Open your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 10. Matthew, chapter number 10. Beginning in verse number 27. I wish I had time to relate to you the content of the entire chapter, especially this first part where the Lord sends his disciples out on a mission. As he says, sheep in the midst of wolves in verse number 16. And then he reminds them, verse 21, that brother shall deliver up brother to death and the father, the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men. Now verse number 27, What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light. And what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather... Fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore ye are of more value than many sparrows. Years ago I read the story of three young men standing before a display case in a in one of the national museums and it in, in the case it contained 10 glass jars containing the chemical uh, analysis of 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 a man who weighed approximately 150 pound and and on each jar it had a, a label as follows, gas, oxygen, hydrogen, nitrogen, 3,500 feet of that. On the second jar, it said enough iron to make seven spike nails. The third jar said 24 ounces of phosphorus. That was enough to make the heads for several hundred matches. The next jar said 18 pounds of carbon, enough to make lead for 780 dozen pencils. The next jar said 38 quarts of water, enough to wash a pair of blankets. The next jar said 2 pounds of lime, that would be enough to whitewash a good-sized chicken coop. The next jar said 20 teaspoons of salt, that's enough to season several meals. The next jar said 60 cubes of sugar, enough to sweeten 30 cups of coffee. The next one said enough towel to make 10 dozen candles. And the tenth jar said four pounds of starch. On the case was written these words, this is all that remains of a man who in life weighed 150 pounds. As those young men stood there observing that, one finally said, To the others, there ain't much to him. We could buy the whole thing in any drugstore for $4.98. And one of the other men said, yeah, but he ain't all there. And it's that part of man to you about this morning. And uh, 
That's the soul. You know, it's really amazing how little we understand ourselves. You know, we think we've got the whole world figured out, and when it gets right down to it, we don't even understand ourselves or what is important in life. If I summed it all up in a nutshell, it would be like this. Man has a body, but is a soul. And I say that because all the way back in Genesis chapter number 2, where it talks about God creating man, and out of the dust of the earth He formed the man's body. But it was not until God breathed the breath of life into man that it says, and man became a living soul. And now notice what Jesus says here in verse 31. He says, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Now don't misunderstand that. He is not speaking about our worth as though we are good or as though we are deserving. This has nothing to do with what is commonly called self-esteem or self-love. Because man has no value apart from Christ. The value comes from the fact that God loves us. The fact that He was willing to pay so great a price to save us. To change us from the creatures we are to the very children of God. And so apart from that, we are worthless. Don't ever fall into that trap of thinking that I am someone that is worthy to be loved and I love myself and I esteem myself and I live for myself. You've got it all backwards. The value is all wrapped up in the fact that God cares about us. That's why we call it amazing grace. Grace is amazing because when you think about grace, it's receiving what we need rather than what we deserve. God values us so much that He was willing to come in the form of a man and suffer and bleed and die on the cross at Calvary and to pay our sin debt. Now, I'm not asking you to understand that, but listen, although we cannot comprehend the greatness of God's grace, although we cannot fully understand it, we can stand under it and on it and enjoy the benefits of it. I don't have to know everything about God in order to enjoy God. I'm not worried about those things that I don't know. It's the parts of the Bible that I do know that gives me the most problems and the most comfort. So many times we trouble ourselves because we're trying to find out something, you know, that that God never intended for us to know. Had we needed to know and unravel all of the mysteries of life, God would have taken care of that. He has given us all of the information that we need. And here concerning man and God's concern for man, He says, ye are of more value than many sparrows. I want you to think with me this morning about the value of a soul. And we have to look at it in three different ways. First of all, we need to look at the value of a soul as related to the Savior. God wrote only one book. I happen to have a copy of it right here in my hand. 
That's the only book that God has ever written. He wrote this book to show sinful man how he could be reconciled to a holy God. And this book gives us that information. Now, God could have written a book that would have given us, you know, the best possible means to health and to wealth and uh, maybe a, a formula for for uh, for prosperity and maybe uh, the formula for a miracle drug that just do away with certain diseases, but he didn't do that. He could have written a book on how we could get rich or maybe given us a map to the location of all of the uh, of the oil and the gold and the silver and the precious stones, but he didn't do that. He could have written a book telling us how to construct the most and best time-saving devices, something that man went out for thousands of years, and just in the last hundred years or so that we've been privileged to have these devices. Microwave ovens and all of this stuff is, Lord, you know, where have you been all of this time? Uh, automobiles that will parallel park themselves and on and on and on the list goes. And God could have written a book, look, to give us all of that information and thousands and thousands of years ago, we could have had that ability, but God didn't write a book like that. He could have written a book that unraveled all of the mysteries of life, but instead God wrote a book explaining how we can have an eternal relationship with Him. A relationship that satisfies the deepest longings of our soul. A relationship that meets our deepest needs, not just the surface things, not just the physical things, not just the visible things, but the deepest needs in our life. So God valued the soul of man. Only book he's ever written, the only institution Jesus ever started was the Lord's Church. We think about all of the different institutions that exist today, and we've got, you know, we've got programs for this and programs for that and everything under the sun. But Jesus Christ started only one institution, and that was his church. And it's very clear as to what our mission is. Go ye therefore into all of the world and preach the gospel to every creature and so forth, right? I mean, that's our mission. Our mission, the mission of the only institution that Jesus Christ ever started, exists for the purpose of winning souls to Jesus Christ. Then we think about the fact even beyond the institution that he established in the book that he has written, we think about the sacrifices that he made. To think about the fact that he, who deserves so much, would sacrifice all of the comforts and all of the pleasures of life. As Paul said, he who was rich became poor, that we through his poverty might be made rich. And then ultimately he paid the highest possible price to redeem fallen man when he died on the cross. You see, it's easy to see the value that Jesus attached to the soul of man. And then in his very last words, and let me tell you, when it comes down to your final words, when you know you're about to leave this world, 
And you're going to be speaking to your loved ones for the very last time. It's not a joke. It's not something that is funny. It's not something that is bitter and complaining. You pour out your heart when you know it's your last words. And in his last words, he says, Ye shall be my witnesses. You see, that was the final message he wanted to leave with them. Ye shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. In other words, again, emphasizing the importance of getting the message out, the only message out that can save man's soul. So it's easy to see the value that the Lord attaches to the soul of a person. But then we need to look at this from another perspective, not only the perspective of the Savior, we need to consider the value of a soul as it relates to the saints. I mean, after all, what is important to Christ ought to be important to us, don't you agree? If it's not important to Him, it shouldn't be important to me. And if I see that this is the one thing above everything else in this world that Jesus valued, then I ought to be concerned about it. I ought to be as concerned about it as the Apostle Paul. When he said, I wish myself a curse from Christ, that my kinsmen, my brethren, after the flesh, that they might be saved. Quite literally, he's saying that if it would help, he said, I would be willing to just be dropped off in the lake of fire. I'd be willing to go to hell and suffer for them if it resulted in their salvation. And then in chapter 10, he said, Brethren, it's my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Someone else might have prayed, Lord, dear God, it's the desire of my heart that my people be delivered from the bondage of the Roman government, that they be a free and a prosperous people. He didn't give any political speech about the welfare of his nation. His concern was for their spiritual needs, for their soul. And and the value of a soul ought to create within each and every one of us that same kind of spirit of concern. I don't see how anybody could claim to be a child of God and not care whether or not their loved ones ever come to know Christ as their Savior. You see, that ought to motivate us to try to win others. After all, Jesus said in chapter 4, verse 19, I will make you fishers of men. You know, and if we care about people, really care about them, we're going to tell them about Christ. Not only is it going to cause us to witness to our loved ones, but it's also going to provoke us to holy living. In 1 Peter chapter 3, where Peter is speaking to those Christian women who happened to be uh, married to men who did not know the Lord. And he made a remarkable statement there. And please understand that nobody can be saved without hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he says to those women in regards to the welfare of their husbands... You know, that if any not be one, you know, by the word, that rather it was by their godly example that you can win them. I think the point is to put it in everyday language is, look, ladies, you don't need to nag at your husband and preach at your husband. You just need to live like Jesus. 
You see, there's great power in, in the example of a Christian. And that's why Paul said to Timothy, said, we are to be examples of the believers. If nothing else provoked us to live holy lives, the fact that others are watching us, lost souls. Like somebody said, you're the only Bible that some people will ever read. What if the print be blurred? What happens if they don't get the right message? And make no mistake about it, there are people reading your life. They're looking at your example, whether it's good or whether it's bad, and that will go a long way in whether or not you're ever able to win them to Jesus Christ. You see, one bad example can destroy the effect of a thousand sermons. And there's so many times, you know, children will come to church and they hear one thing from the preacher and the Sunday school teacher and they go home and they see it lived out just the opposite of what they heard about. And it becomes repulsive to them. They don't want any of it. The value of a soul ought to provoke you to holy living. It ought to cause us to work together, by the way. The Bible says we are labors together, right? We're labors together with God. You see, when Jesus started the church, He knew it needed a team effort. This is something, you know, that I alone can't do. You alone can't do. It's something that to where we need one another to be most effective. Always think about the man taken in the palsy there in chapter 4 of Mark or chapter 2. And the Lord is in the house, and they can't get this fellow in. They know the Lord has the power to heal him, but they can't get him in. I mean, there's a crowd around the house, and they they just can't get him in to Jesus. And so one of them comes up with the idea, let's just chop a hole in the roof. And they cut a hole in the roof. It proves these these folks wasn't Baptists, because they'd be worried about the cost of it. And uh, But... They cut a hole in the roof, and right there, they broke up the service with everything going on. They let this man down on in a sheet or on his bed, whatever you want to call it. And I love what the old country preacher used to talk about when he told that story. The title of his sermon was Tote Your Corner. Now, each man had a corner of that sheet and let that man down through the roof into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm saying if we really value souls like we claim that we do, then we ought to be working together to get the job done. We think about all of our different ministries. We think about Sunday school. We think about Awana. We think about our community care outreach ministry and everything else. Let me tell you, it's all a part of the same thing, folks. It's just a different way of ministering And we need to be as supportive as we can of every single ministry in the church. You can't be involved in every ministry in the church, but we ought to prayerfully support every ministry in the church because we don't have none that's more important than others. They are all important. They minister in different ways, but it's all about the same thing, and that is the value of a soul causing us to work together to reach people for Christ. And it ought to bring out our very best effort. 
how many times I think we're, we're all, to some extent, guilty of not giving our best effort. You know, we just go through life just half-heartedly. You know, we, we, we do it, you know, whenever it's really visible, when it'll make an impression with somebody else. But then when, you know, we got other opportunities and nobody's looking and we won't get any praise for it, so we just back off and let it slide by. We get cold and different and callous toward people. I'm talking about people dying and going to hell, and it just doesn't move us. Reminds me of the revival meeting out in Kansas years ago taking place. And during the course of that week, there was a man by the name of Jim, a man in that community that people supposedly had been concerned about. You know, people had prayed for him at different times. And, uh, and he was missing. And, and the townspeople gathered together and they searched for three long days. And finally, they found the body. And uh, at the funeral service, the old preacher said, Oh, Jim, if we had been as concerned about your soul as we were about your body, you wouldn't be in hell right now. We need to think about that because so many times we put all of the emphasis upon the things that are going to pass away. Let me tell you, serving God's not always going to be fun and easy. As I just read in the opening statement there, when the Lord has called these men and sending them out on this mission, He said, you're going to be hated for my namesake. Did, did you get that part where He said, brother shall rise up against brother and, and cause them to be put together, and, and a father against his son and the children against their parents? And he says later on, he says, a man foe shall be they of his own household. It's not all fun and games when we think about serving the Lord. But listen, the value of souls ought to motivate us to keep going. We never have a right to quit. Never. Just because it's difficult does not excuse us from duty. These men pressed on in the face of all of these difficulties. Why? It would have been much easier to quit. I mean, I often think about the Apostle Paul whenever he is finally in prison there in Rome. He could have said, you know, I've paid my dues. I've literally won thousands to Christ. I've made a name for myself. I'll never be forgotten down through the centuries. People will remember me and what I've done. They will applaud my efforts. They will even strive to be like me. And I've suffered horrible abuse. And here I am in this lonely prison cell. And now's just a good time for me to just hang it up and call it quits. And instead of doing that, he said, for to me to live is Christ. You you never, you see, he never stopped trying, never stopped working. And even there in that prison, by the time that it was all done, the entire prison and the palace and everyone that came in contact with Paul and his influence heard about Jesus Christ. Let me ask you Christians this morning, are you really, truly, honestly giving your best effort to reach those that are lost? If the truth is known, some of us have got family members 
that we're not even trying to reach. It might be someone we've given up on. It might be someone that's bitter toward us or whatever it is, and 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 yet we don't care enough to even inquire whether they've ever really trusted Christ as their Savior. So when I think about the value of a soul, I have to consider it from the standpoint of the Savior. I have to consider it from the standpoint of the saints. But then thirdly, we have to consider it from the standpoint of the sinner. You see, if you're here and you've never received Christ as your Savior, concern for your soul ought to outweigh your concern for everything else. You know, we educate our mind... We doctor our body, we save our money, we amuse our heart, we insure our life, and then turn around and neglect the most important part, and that is our soul. You see, that just doesn't make sense. Remember, you have a body, but you are a soul. The real you lives in that body, whether you weigh a 100 pounds or 300 pounds, whether you're five foot tall or six foot tall, the real you lives in that body. The real you looks out those two windows that we call eyes. The real you is able to communicate by means of your mouth. The real you is able to hear because of your ears. But the real you is in the body. And one day, the real you is going to move out of the body. We call that physical death. And the body's going back to the dust. But the real you is going to continue to exist. And what do you do? You spend all of your life, all of your time, all of your energy, all of your effort, and everything... On this old house of clay, it's going to go back to the dust of the earth. It just doesn't make sense. And it doesn't make sense because you have yet to see the value of a soul. It ought to outweigh your concern for everything else, but secondly, it ought to cause you to investigate the truth. If your soul is something that is going to last for all of eternity... If there is the slightest chance that you might go to hell or the slightest chance you could go to heaven, don't you think you owe it to yourself to discover the truth? You need to do some investigation. You cannot afford to be wrong. You can't afford to just depend on tradition. Well, you know, my, my grandpa believed this and that's good enough for me. You can't afford to take the advice of others. Those so-called well-meaning friends that tell you, hey, don't listen to that old radical, fanatical, overweight preacher up there. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's out of touch with the times. You don't need to listen to him. I know what's best for you. You can't afford to listen to advice like that. You cannot afford to be wrong. You can't afford to depend on your feelings. So many people, you know, you ask them if they're going to heaven, and they say, well, well, you know, I, re- I feel like I'll be all right. I feel like that, you know, that I'll probably go to heaven if I die. You can't afford to depend on that. Because of the value of your soul, you better get the facts. And right here in this old black book I'm holding in my hand, that's the only place you're going to really find the facts. Amen. That is the only thing that's going to give you the absolute truth. The value of your soul should outweigh your concern for absolutely everything else. It ought to cause you to investigate the facts, discover the truth. 
And then it should demand your attention right now. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he said, Behold, that means, that means sit up, look and listen. Behold, pay attention. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If your soul is so valuable that Jesus was willing to suffer and bleed and die for it, if it is so valuable that God would subject His own children to horrible suffering that they might be able to get the message out into all of the world, if your soul is that valuable, then you better do what is necessary to take care of business and to make certain that you are a child of God. And you better do it right now. There's so many people, you know, they're... They spend their whole life running from God. You get them to come to church occasionally and they come in and the Holy Spirit might convict them and, and they might even leave with tears in their eyes, but they can't wait to get out of that service and to get away and to leave and to get all of that off of their mind. Run off to a ball game or something. It's easy to forget it there. Go do whatever just so you don't have to think about a burning, fiery place for eternity called hell, you know. You, you can forget about that. And you spend your life running from God. And I pastored in Humboldt, Tennessee. Got the news one night. One night, I think it was like 1 o'clock in the morning, something like that. There had been a, been a, a, a wreck out west of town. And if I'm not mistaken, there's a man and a woman... And I believe the I believe the young woman was killed, but the man was injured in the accident. And and someone going by called the paramedics. They come out there. The ambulance pulls up. They try to get this guy in the ambulance, get him to the hospital for treatment. And all of a sudden, this guy realizes that I'm on the horns of a dilemma here. It's like 1.30 in the morning. My wife thinks I'm one place and I'm out here on this road in a wreck with a woman in the car and my affair is going to be found out. I'm going to have to face my sins and he starts running. The ambulance attendants literally tried to catch him but... If you know anything about that part of the country, it's all soybeans and cotton fields, and he ran out through there till finally he got away from them. They couldn't find him. They searched and they searched, and finally they gave up and said, we'll come back in the morning. Sure enough, they come back out in the morning and find his lifeless body laying there. You see, he had been running from the, from the very people that was trying to save him, trying to help him. And he's running from them. Don't run from God. Don't gamble with your soul. Many years ago, back before I became a Christian, and like most drunks, you know, I had a circuit of bars that I that I hit, and you start here, and you go to this one, and go to that one, and there happened to be one called the RC Cocktail Lounge there in Springfield, and was run by a man that I knew fairly well by the name of, well, I won't give his name. This is going out over the air. 
And this fellow got the crazy idea that uh, it would be a fun thing for him and his buddies there at the bar for them to play Russian roulette. For you kids that don't know what that is, you take a revolver and if it's six shot like the kinds that I carry, a Colt six shot, why you put one in the in the cylinder and chamber and you spin it, you cock the hammer and see if it'll go off. And you know, one chance out of six that that it will. And, and you know, you might take some bets and it might it might appear that you're winning the game. But eventually, that cartridge is going to stop under that hammer, and when you pull the trigger and it falls, it's going to hit the primer and ignite the bullet, and in his case, blow your brains out. You know, we we think of something like that, and we think, how could anyone, especially an intelligent man like that fellow, how could anybody be that stupid to do something so foolish? And we all agree that's really a foolish thing to do, right? Now let me tell you, if you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Savior, do you understand that you're only one heartbeat? Put your hand on your heart for just a minute. Yeah, it's on your left side. (laughs) Just hold it there. You feel it? If you don't, well, we'll... (laughs) But you feel that? You know what it's doing? It's beating a death march to the grave. Bump, bump, bump. Just one heartbeat away from eternity. Just one breath. And you are gambling that your heart will beat again. You're gambling that you'll have another opportunity. And let me tell you, don't assume that you'll ever have another opportunity. Like someone said many years ago, it's never too early to accept Christ, but any moment it could be too late. It could be too late because you die. Well, you know, so many times we think we've got forever. We think, well, you know, you kids that are here today are younger people, and you know, oh, you're not even thinking about the possibility of death. And in reality, you're just as close to dying as I am. Oh, I know I look like I'm death, you know. I, I, I realize that, but, but I'm just one heartbeat away like you are. And there's absolutely nothing going to be able to take my life till God gets through with me, nothing. And you see, we just assume that we're going to have another opportunity. When in reality, we could die any moment. Or it might be, Jesus could come. Can you believe that? You better believe it. He said He'd come in an hour when we least expect it, when we're not looking for it, we don't think it could happen. He said, that's when I'm going to come. And if there was ever a time that the Lord's churches have gone to sleep concerning the rapture, it's today. We live like it couldn't possibly happen. But it could. 
And if you haven't been saved, it'll be too late. Oh, I, I know you're thinking, oh yeah, but preacher, if I miss the boat at the rapture, I'll remember what you said and then I'll become a Christian. Not if you ever heard the gospel. The Bible says you will believe the lie of the Antichrist. How do you, how do you explain away all of a sudden all of the Christians leaving the world? Imagine that on NBC. Think about that. How are they going to spend that? What in the world are they going to do with that? That suddenly all of these Christians are just kapoof gone. And yet there is a fellow that the Bible talks about called the Antichrist who's going to come on the on the stage of world power with an explanation that people will believe. I have no idea what he's going to say, but they will believe it. And the Holy Spirit will cease his work in your heart, and you will be doomed and damned for eternity. You see, you could die. Jesus could come. And there's one other thing that could happen. You know, we sometimes talk about the unpardonable sin, and most folks have no idea what that is. But let me tell you what could happen. It's described in Romans chapter number 1, by the way. And it's talking about, you know, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination. And it says, and their foolish heart was darkened. And as a result of that, it says, God just gave them over to do those things that are not convenient and they left the natural use of the body to do things that are against nature. But here's the thing I want you to think about. It says that God gave them over to a reprobate mind. I'm telling you, you better not keep assuming and presuming on God. You could cross that deadline to where your heart will be so hardened that the best sermon you ever heard can't get through. It won't cause you to shed a tear. You'll be totally unconcerned. And it's as though God will take His hands off of you and say that is the path that you've chosen. There you go, now walk in it. You've been wanting to be your own boss and do your own thing. Let me tell you, when you reject God, the day will come when He will reject you. And whether you believe me or not, I'm telling you, it might be before you die. And no amount of prayer, no amount of pleading or anything else will ever break through that, that hardness of your heart because you have so hardened your heart against God that He just gives you over to that reprobate mind. The value of a soul... God has given you a glorious opportunity here this morning to trust Christ as your Savior. Don't blow it. Amen. Don't assume you'll get another opportunity. Do you know beyond any shadow of a doubt that if you died today that you'd go to be with the Lord? I mean, absolutely. And, and by the way, and there's evidence of it. Because see, a lot of folks say, oh yeah, I know I'm going to heaven. Yeah, I trusted Jesus as my Savior, but there's totally no evidence of it. 
And if there's no evidence of it, you shouldn't be bragging about it. Because you can't depend upon it. Do you know that you'd go to heaven if you died? Is there evidence that you've truly trusted Christ as your Savior? Do you have that blessed assurance, that old song Brother Ron loves so well, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, promise of God, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. Do you have that blessed assurance? I'll tell you if you don't. If you don't, I don't know how in the world you'll be able to sleep tonight. I don't know how you could ever possibly enjoy life when the most valuable thing you have is up for grabs. When you live every day in jeopardy of losing your eternal soul. Trust Him here and now this morning. And if you're here today and a Christian... Listen, saints, we need, we need to start thinking seriously about the value of a soul. You know, we, we attach some value to this building. It belongs to God and He gave it to us. It's, His property is valuable. It's important. This doesn't mean anything compared to, I, listen, I'd, I'd rather be in a tent and see people saved than to be in a big mansion type building and nobody ever getting saved. Because it's, it's not about buildings. It's not about reputation. It's, it's all about the value of a soul. And we don't need to wonder about what God thinks. He died to prove it. Let's all stand. Father,